1: Have you found that your love for Christ has grown cold? You've lost that first love. We'll help you fight for that affection next, here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. No matter how stout hearty your heart might be, We always find ourselves waxing and waning when it comes to love and joy. It's not something that's a constant. It is, in fact, something that we have to fight for. And that's exactly what we're called to do here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Welcome. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. His series is called Finding Pleasure in God. And today, our message is entitled Fighting for the Affections, specifically that of love. Again, Revelation 3 is where we catch up with Pastor Phil on today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: There's a marvelous little book uh, that you may uh, want to read to When I Do Not Feel Like Desiring God. And uh, it's interesting because John Piper wrote it and he started out a, a whole ministry called Desiring God. But he, uh, uh, in all honesty... Uh, wrote another book. What do you do when you don't have any push for God? Um, When you uh, are literally dry in your spirit and to have any emotion, you're doing good just to show up because you feel joyless, Uh, you feel like uh, faith is at a a weak point. Uh, There's a lot of things that We would all be lying to each other to say you don't have some desert experiences. Uh, I believe when I first got saved, when I first got saved, every time I got on my knees, it seemed like for six months, it was like I died and went to heaven. It was so wonderful. Prayer was easy. Joy would flood me. Uh, The joy of sins forgiven. Being right with God And then as my journey continued, I'd have those spells where uh, tears were gone, emotions were gone, and you just were walking by faith. And uh, everything that I read was not always true of me. Uh, Sometimes you can lose your song. There's many things. There is a side to Christianity uh, that you need to acknowledge and uh, I think I've said before Pastor Rollins has helped me in this area and Martin Lloyd-Jones you live in a body and your body will affect your soul the body and soul are such close neighbors they catch each other's diseases and when your health is bad and uh, when you're battling with different things going on everything from hormones Having babies, going through menopause, from being diagnosed with cancer to being told you're losing some faculty that you don't quite want to lose, uh, it affects the soul. And our culture is selling billions of dollars of antidepressants for people uh, who are trying to cope with depression. I just read a critique of it that one of the scary things. Uh, in this article it was a secular article many times placebos or sugar-coated tablets did as much for people because you can medicate the body and not get rid of all the problems of the soul but they do have an effect on one another so we do have times that uh, to be zealous for God would be the last way you would describe ourselves so there are those kinds events and seasons i think in everyone's life we see it psalms 42 why am i cast down oh my soul i will hope again in god and i think what we see in the bible this idea and you, you may not like this term it's called a fight for the faith that you are actually having to fight to keep the desires you have to fight for the joy Paul said I have fought a good fight what was that good fight I have kept the faith and it's not I just kept a doctrinal position and you would have to fight to do that for sure because of the winds that blow away and everybody's got a new doctrine a new teaching you know, I want to be flexible about a lot of things we do in church life, colors, uh, music. I want to flex everywhere we can. I just don't want to flex on what the Bible says. I want, to, I want that to be the core values. Christ, his word, and the work of his spirit. Those things I want to go to the mat for. But all kinds of things. Wherever we can flex, we should flex probably to show that we are Flexible. Some of you haven't flexed on anything in years. Like the guy said, have you told your wife you love her? He said, I said that 25 years ago. I see no necessity of saying it again. We want to look a little bit, the battle for the affections, and we're not going to develop that whole thing, but I want to come to a conclusion and see how Christ, when he puts the stethoscope on the heart of the church, see what were some of the soul afflictions that he found in the church in no more than 60 years from when he walked on the earth. But look at our notes, if you will. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing. Tozer said that years ago. And it would be interesting if you just wrote on a sheet sometime, God, you might put Jesus Christ, and then write down what he means to me, what I understand by those terms. That's the most important uh, expose of your heart you can get. So we find out that uh, many people have had uh, journeys. There are people that we say have backslidden, that as I've seen through the years, they never slid from anything but a profession that they did not keep. I read a moving interview by Lee Strobel that when he interviews Charles Templeton, one of three contemporaries of, there was two contemporaries with Billy Graham in Youth for Christ, and Charles Templeton was said to be the best of the three preachers. But uh, in time, one of the uh, evangelists in that Youth for Christ movement became a drunk, and Templeton himself became an infidel. And he wrote a book uh, that has been published called Farewell to God. My reasons for rejecting the Christian faith. And Lee Strobel, uh, who had been a news writer at one time and has worked uh, at Heibel's church back in Chicago, got an interview with him. He came down with Alzheimer's. And he wanted to interview him and get as much uh, insight as he could by why did you leave the faith? His greatest reason was there's too much evil in the world and I can't live with a God that can permit evil. That was his major premise. But as he was doing the interview, he asked Templeton, what do you think about Jesus Christ? I quote, he was the greatest human being who has ever lived he was a moral genius his ethical sense was unique he was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings his commitment was total and led to his own death much to the detriment of the world what could one say about him except that he this was a form of greatness. You sound like you really care about him, Strobel said. Well, yes, he's the most important thing in my life, came his I, I, "I," He stuttered, searching for the right. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Well, yes, everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know I learned from Jesus. Yes, yes, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and exploited. And he kept going on. And so the world would do well to emulate him. Oh my goodness, yes, I have tried and tried as far as I could go. I finally gave up. And he started to say he's the most and he stopped and then he began to convulsively cry and as he got his voice he said and if I may put it this way I miss him as we look at the affections even if you don't deny him and become an infidel for the rest of your life There are times in your spirit you will say, I miss him. I'm not as close as I used to be. I used to love him more than I do now. And so I hear James tell me, you've obviously put someone else number one in your life. You've obviously, as James 4 says, are finding your pleasure in the world system because everybody's got someone That's number one in their life. You cannot avoid that. Someone or something is number one. And every one of us believers fight. Fight the fight of faith to keep Christ central. To keep Christ first. And we all have drifted at times. We've all had our failures, our backslidings, our coolness of heart. And so I list for you in your bulletin I give you a little note here Do you remember when you had these affections? And then we'll go to Revelation 3 Do you remember when Christ was all you thought you needed To be contented? For godliness is to be contented with God And to really say I need nothing but God How long has it been since you said that? Or does money drive you? Or does your company own you? When was Christ really the driving passion of your life? He does do that in your heart. Uh, when could you say He's my superlative joy? I find no joy in anything like I find in Him. Matter of fact, I was glad when they said, "Let us go to the ball game." That's okay. If you want to go to Monday, I'll watch the game. But I was glad when they said, let's go to the place where we worship him. Do you have that kind of joy burst out? Do your kids know that you're excited that you get to go and meet with God's people? The time you had a joy at the thought of meeting God's people. That I delight myself in the Lord. He's my delight. He's not my drudgery. Um, Do you remember, and maybe it still is, and I hope it is, when he was your first love, that you stood for no rivals. Christ above everything, in your job, in your home, in your ethics, in your checkbook, uh, whatever. You desired God's word like uh, a baby desires milk. As Carol and I interviewed one of our precious sisters for membership yesterday, she says this, and you don't know who it is, but she's a woman in her 50s, been saved a while, and I say that to set you up for this. She said, I can't get enough of his word. I can't get enough. I'm taking a Bible Institute class here. I'm involved in Bible study fellowship over here. I'm doing this over here. I just can't get enough. Would that describe you? I mean, after you've known him 20 years, or do you just finally say, man, this stuff, I'm getting so sick and tired of it. More Bible, more church, more Jesus. I just kind of wore out with it all. There was a time maybe you were like a baby at the breast saying, my whole life's sustenance depends on getting this milk. I can't get enough. Uh, you were fervent and zealous for God. You feared God with awe and wonder. Your hope and trust was in him about everything. You believed he didn't give you the right woman or the right man to marry. You believed he not give you the right job. You believed he could help you overcome anything. Because you had Jesus, and that's all you really needed. Now, were you fat, dumb, and happy? Or were you really pursuing God like God wanted? Is that a normal thing? No, not. that happens. At, uh, Pastor Ted was telling me about his own testimony. You've heard many times, but it's a dynamic testimony of a religious boy. From his youth, lived through a heartbreak in their home, went into drugs, went into alcohol, tried so many different programs to break it. And in a prayer meeting with a little bunch of believers in Washington, the chains fell off. He was changed, and he was telling me one day, and we tried to be gracious, and he just said, well, maybe I'm not the norm, but God set me free. And I was reading some literature and I called him, you are the norm. He sets everybody free that he saves. For he's a great deliverer. You're not the unique. Every one of us have to say, my chains fell off. I walked out of my dungeon. The light came into my heart. I've been set free because Jesus is a savior, deliverer. That's all we're saying. We're not trying to say our testimony is greater but we're not going to demean his saving work. Jesus saves. That's all we're saying. You are filled with love. You are filled with joy. On and on. These affections, none of them make sense to a natural man. He doesn't have them. He has no thirst for the word. He can't understand it. Uh, He does not love Jesus Christ. John said he has no love for God. And I think of when Jesus decided after 60 years, approximately after Pentecost, he decided he would pay the churches of Asia Minor a visit, and he puts his stethoscope on seven churches to see how they're doing 60 years after the Holy Spirit flooded the upper room. Surely the church is burning. Surely the church is on fire. Surely in 60 years you can hold out. Because they've got the Holy Spirit, you know. And as he makes his report on their spiritual health, he says to Ephesus, you've got discernment, you know false teaching. You've got great energy, you're hardworking. Just one thing, Christ is no longer number one. Yeah, I, I, I'm astounded I, you know in my heart I, I felt a little rebuke to the Lord as I tried to defend Ephesus this week on my knees I said Lord I don't think they planned for that to happen I don't think men who fight error and love truth, I don't think people who are hard workers in church I don't think they in a thousand years dreamed it would ever happen that they would lose Christ as first in their life I don't think they had a premeditated plan, something happened I think it's more a slow leak in the tire, it wasn't a blowout and all of a sudden Christ was peripheral to their life He was not number one. He goes on. He critiques Smyrna. Smyrna, he never complains against. They were a suffering church. Christ usually has little complaints about people in the midst of suffering for him. He usually commends them. And he did Smyrna. We come to Pergamum. And uh, he takes on this church. And he says, you bought into the false teaching of Balaam. And now you as a church are in the midst of idolatry and immorality. Uh, Morals have fallen in that church and there's idolatry going on and my people are being seduced. He goes to Thyatira and at Thyatira there was some woman teacher that was unleashed on these people. And she was uh, uh, wrong of course. She led them into immorality and idolatry. So to imagine that you had a woman pastor, maybe, or the woman spokesman at Thyatira had enough influence to get them to go into an immoral lifestyle and begin to bow before idols—it it just doesn't seem possible. But it was. And what's scary is many prophetic students make these churches a picture of the whole church age, kind of a chronology. Who knows? Then, he goes on to Sardis. And Sardis is a scary church to me because they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. They had a great reputation, but their present reality is they were dead. And I've lived through this. I've even seen people say that about Valley. Oh, we remember the prayer meetings. Yeah. Do you still attend any? We remember. Oh, it was so great. Yeah. And we got a name. And many a church is riding on some reputation name. And they advertise all the great things. And that's wonderful. God gets the credit. But too often times, reputation has become devoid of present reality. And we're just taunting the name. You know, I love the seminary I went to because I loved Lewis Chafer. I loved his teacher. I love the men that he shaped, that helped shape me in San Francisco. But you know what? Every seminary fights to keep to the principles on which they were started. Because the drift is always a present reality. And it's the same with the church. People come, people go, and those who replace those who left, we never know if they've got the same heart for God as those who left. And pretty soon the whole complexion of a church changes in its spiritual passion. He came to Philadelphia, and the thing he said about Philadelphia, its why I always claimed it, they were unimpressively weak. Their only virtue was they clung to his word, And he said, the only way you're going to stay open is I'll be your doorkeeper. That's the only thing about Philadelphia. You're weak. You have not denied my name. You're clinging to my word. And I'm going to keep the door open. What an amazing little church. Then he comes to the seventh. And that I want us to read. Look at this. As you look at Revelation 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. This angel is either a spirit being or some make him a pastor. Uh, It's debated. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne I understand this to be the millennial Davidic throne he who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
1: And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry Here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard.